If you will, take out your Bible. We are going to be in the scriptures this morning. If you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand. If you don't own a Bible, you can keep the one that we give you as a gift this morning. So grateful to have you here with us as we sing joy to the world and as we worship our Lord together and praise him this morning. I do have a shorter message than normal because it is Christmas Eve, and you may be able to count that as like a Christmas gift to you, my shorter message. Although I know some of you would tell me, no, I want you to go on for 50 minutes, but you are the oddball out for the most part. Plus, we have the kids in here this morning. How cool is that video of the kids up there as well? That was so good. Tomorrow, of course, is Christmas Day, a wonderful time of the year. This is for certain. Most Christians throughout the world do celebrate the birth of Christ, but not everybody celebrates on December 25th. There's actually a segment of the Christian church, the Orthodox church, that celebrates on January 7th. And if you've ever heard the the phrase or sung the song, the 12 days of Christmas, the 12 days of Christmas speak of the time between the 25th and the 7th of January. And this is an important time of celebration, a time to rejoice in the wonderful things that God has done. And it is an awesome thing to consider that over the next couple of weeks, some 2.4 billion people throughout the world will celebrate the birth of Christ, the coming of Christ to this world. That means that about a third of the global population rejoices in the coming of Jesus to this world. And I think that you would agree, he deserves all glory and honor and praise. We're so grateful that our Lord came to this world. He deserves all glory, honor, and praise because his birth, really, it began the fulfillment of a prophecy of a prophet in the Old Testament by the name of Habakkuk. Habakkuk, it actually was a word that God spoke to Habakkuk in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. God says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, that is not entirely fulfilled yet, but it began to be fulfilled when Jesus came into this world 2,000 years ago. The earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And I love the prophetic anticipation, the certainty with which God speaks that to the prophet there in that passage. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That is the ultimate expectation, anticipation of every Christian. And when Jesus came into the world, he marks the beginning of that coming to pass. And now here we are, you know, 2,000 years later. And like I said, 2.4 billion people, a third of the global population recognizes or has the knowledge of the glory of the Lord in Jesus Christ. And we are grateful for all the wonders that his coming to this world brings to us. We've been talking about that for the last several weeks here at Cross Connection Church. We've talked about that because of Jesus coming to this world, we have a hope that does not disappoint. We have a joy that is increasing unto abundance for eternity. We have a peace that surpasses understanding, that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And we have the love of God, which is greater than any love, that has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. A third of the world knows this truth, A third of the world is understanding this, and that is really remarkable. It's remarkable because the knowledge of the glory of the Lord was first proclaimed in one of the most humble ways possible. 
We began looking at this a little bit last night, if you were with us, for our Christmas Eve Eve celebration in the Gospel of Luke. If you would, take out your Bibles and open them to the New Testament. That's the last third of your Bible. It begins with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke chapter 2 is where we are going to read from this morning. The kids on the announcements already read a portion of it for us. We're going to recap that in a moment. But Luke chapter 2, verse 1 There we read this, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, King David. He went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. If you are a person that highlights or underlines passages in your Bible, those are good words to highlight. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth and goodwill toward men. It is hard to imagine a more humble birth and birth announcement than the one that we discover here in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. Jesus was basically born to a peasant girl. Born to a peasant girl who was betrothed to a laborer husband. He was born to a young woman whose pregnancy was questioned and whose birth ultimately was considered by some to be illegitimate. There was questions around this conception about how did this come to pass? Of course, we recognize and understand that it is a fulfillment of prophecy that was spoken some 700 years before Jesus came to the world through the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a child, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we recognize that, but you can be certain that there were people during that time in her family and in Joseph's family that did not recognize that immediately. In fact, the family seems to try to have kept it under wraps. They sent Mary away for a period of time. She went away to go stay with a relative named Elizabeth, who was also pregnant and about to have a child. But you can sense just in that sending her away to a different town, there was some shame that the family was wrestling with. And there were questions in Joseph's mind and in his heart about how he should deal with this. The scriptures tell us that he was a good and a just man. That means that he was seeking to observe the law and the commandments of Moses. And so in this circumstance, even though he was engaged, if you will, betrothed to Mary, he was questioning how he should deal with this situation because he knew this kid is not mine. So, so how, how would you respond if you were in his sandals? And he, he's a good and a just man. And so the scriptures say in the Gospel of Matthew that he, 
he contemplated putting her away privately, letting her just, you know, live out her life as an unmarried woman with this child. But then he had an angelic vision, a dream God spoke to him. And because of that angelic encounter, though he would have probably canceled their engagement and betrothal, he was ultimately changed his mind on how he ought to deal with that. There were those who questioned Mary's pregnancy and Jesus' birth. And to say that he came into this world in a humble, under humble circumstances would be to really give an understatement. And also the announcement that we have here in this passage to say that it is an understatement, uh, to say that it was humble was an understatement as well. We look at it there in chapter two, verse eight. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields and they were keeping watch over their flock by night. And now an angel of the Lord stood before these shepherds and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. The, the King James Version says they were sore afraid. I like that. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I will bring you, or I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people for there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. A shepherd was anything but a highly regarded and respected line of work or trade. It was not looked down upon or despised in Israel. Really, uh, for the children of Israel, they were basically a nation of shepherds, or at least that's what they were at their, their founding when they became a people, a nation. If you go all the way back to the book of Exodus, you see that Abraham, he was a keeper of sheep and his descendants also were as well. And when they eventually moved from the land of Canaan down into Egypt at the end of Genesis, they lived in a region there in Egypt called Goshen that had many you know, lands that were well watered and perfect grazing land for their sheep. But among the people in Egypt, shepherds were, were despised and looked down upon. They didn't like the children of Israel because of their line of work. But for the time in which Jesus came into this world, shepherd was, you know, it was kind of like the common laborer work of the day. Not very highly regarded, and it's likely that these individuals were watching over sheep that they didn't own. They're probably watching over the sheep of another owner or individual. And because of the location being in or around Bethlehem, which was just about seven miles from Jerusalem, it's very possible that they were tending the sheep that would be used in temple services there in Jerusalem. And these guys were tent-dwelling, sojourning nomads out there in the countryside watching over their sheep. They're kind of the nobodies, not wealthy, not well-known. They are the, you know, menial laborers of the time. The, the announcement of Jesus' birth, even though we know that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace of Isaiah 9:6. The announcement of his birth didn't go to the king in Jerusalem, Understandably so, because we discover in the story that ultimately that king would see this birth as something that could come against his throne. And in many ways, he was right about that. He sought to destroy this child. So the birth announcement didn't go out on all the news wires, if you will, to the greatest people of the time. It went to the most humble people of the time. These shepherds that were keeping sheep there in the countryside, men who were not wealthy, not highly regarded, not well known, just tent-dwelling, sojourning nomads. And there they were in the night, and they see this great light shine, and the angel speaks to them, the first birth announcement to them. Again, hard to imagine a more humble announcement than this. But unto the shepherds, the angel of the Lord said, I bring you good tidings of great joy. I love those words. Good tidings is, in the original language, the word that is translated throughout the New Testament as gospel. 
I bring you gospel, good news. And the good news is good news of great joy. Now, I was present at the birth of all four of my children, and I can tell you, as I was there, it was a joyful experience. I think probably most of you would say the same thing. A joyful experience for sure, but the birth of Jesus is good tidings of great joy. And the word for great is the Greek word megas. It's mega joy. I like that. Mega joy comes with the birth of Jesus. As I've shared many times before, it is a joy that is increasing unto abundance for eternity. Though happiness that we might experience in this life is temporary and fleeting, the joy that we find in Christ, it is increasing. Ultimately, it increases to total abundance and it continues forever and ever and ever. That's what we call mega joy. So Jesus, his birth brings good tidings of mega joy. Now, it's interesting to me in reading the Gospel of Luke, the opening chapters, that the name Jesus, as we come to this birth announcement of the Christ child, the name Jesus has not yet been used. You don't see the name Jesus in the Gospel of Luke until after this point. So we don't know his name, but there's certain things that were told about his nature, which in, in one sense is almost more important than just his name. Now, his name is powerful and important. But his name even alludes to who he is and what he's all about because the name Jesus means Jehovah or God is salvation. So this one that the children of Israel were looking for, he is salvation. He doesn't just bring salvation. He doesn't just go and save people. He is by his very nature savior. And we see that here in this text. But the first thing we discover about his nature is that he is of a royal line. We already read it in the passage. It says that Joseph, although Joseph was not his biological father, he was his adopted father, if you will. And it says that Joseph was of the house and the lineage of David, King David, who lived about a thousand years before Jesus, who it was prophesied to David, he would be the one through whom the Messiah, the anointed one, would come. And now a thousand years after David, here we have this child come into the world by a relative of King David. And it was not just through Joseph, but also in Luke chapter three, we have the genealogy of Jesus. A genealogy are those passages of scripture that so many people skip over because it's one long name after another long name that you can hardly pronounce. So-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. And so a lot of times people just skip over that. But in Luke chapter three, what we discover is that not only through Joseph would Jesus be a child of David, but also through Mary, he was of the line or family of King David. So one of the first things we discover about his nature is that he is in an earthly consideration of a royal line. He is king. But then Luke also reveals to us here in the words of the angel to these shepherds, he said, there is born to you this day in the city of David a savior. In the gospel of Matthew, when Joseph receives the angelic message in a dream that this child that is conceived in Mary is of the Holy Spirit. The angel says to Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus because he shall save his people from their sins. Now, the people of Israel, at the time that Jesus came into this world, they were looking for a savior. They were looking mostly for a political savior because for most of the last 
800 years of history, they had found themselves subjugated by different conquering enemies that came into the land. During the 8th century BC, it was the Assyrians. During the 5th century BC, it was the Babylonians. During the 3rd and 2nd century BC, it was the Greeks. And ever since the 1st century BC, they had been under the rule of the Romans. Always an occupied people. Many times their, their land would be the place of great battles and their cities would be destroyed and then rebuilt and destroyed and rebuilt and destroyed and rebuilt. And constantly they were in this cycle to the point that at the time that Jesus came, the people were looking for a political leader to come and rescue them. Maybe like some today. But here we learn that Jesus is a savior, but not just an earthly political savior. He is the one who comes to save us from our sins. That's the biggest problem. That's the biggest issue that we all face. We might think our biggest problem is who is ruling from the White House or you know, running the UN or whatever it may be, but that's not our biggest problem. We have a much bigger issue to deal with. And Jesus came to deal with that major issue. He has come to save his people from their sins. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ, the second thing we learn about his nature here is that he is the anointed one. That's what that word Christos or Christ means. That's what the Hebrew word Mashiach meant. When a new king would be anointed in Israel or a new priest would be anointed in Israel, they would consider that person a Mashiach, a Messiah, but not the Messiah. But for centuries, the children of Israel were looking for the anointed one of God who would come to rescue and save them. And the angel says to the shepherds, there is born to you this day a savior. He is Christ and he is Lord. Kurios in the Greek. He is the master. He is the ruler. He is the one who brings in and ushers forth the kingdom of God. The prophet Isaiah foretold would have no end. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. And now here are these sojourning, tent dwelling, nobads out in the countryside watching over sheep. And an angel comes and says, a savior who is Christ the Lord has been born this day. And the angel continues, verse 12, and this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with this angel that was giving the message, a multitude of angels, heavenly hosts, praising God. And here is their praise. I absolutely love this. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men three important things here in this praise of the angels, and I'll wrap up. First, I'm sure you've heard those words or sung them before. We've sung them here at Cross Connection within the last 24 hours. Gloria in excelsis Deo. That means glory to God in the highest. It is the Latin for glory to God in the highest. And when the angels began to sing there in the presence of these Shepherds in the field, they begin by saying, glory to God in the highest. What does that mean? It means that the birth of this child, who is a savior, Christ the Lord, his birth brings praise and honor and glory to God in the highest manner possible. But here's the awesome thing. It's not just his birth that does that. His birth, his life, his ministry, his miracles, his teaching, everything that Jesus does throughout the Gospels as we read of it, everything that he did in his life was as praise to God in the highest manner possible, right down to his death 
his burial, and his resurrection that we will celebrate and remember together in just a few months at the end of March. All of these things brought glory to God in the highest manner possible. And here's the awesome thing. That does not finish after his ascension into heaven. God continues to glorify himself in the highest manner possible through Christ's body, his church. That's his aim. And he will glorify himself in his return and in the establishment of his kingdom as well. So when the angels announced at the birth of Jesus that glory to God in the highest, they were saying everything about this child, everything he has done and will do on into eternity, it brings glory to God in the highest manner possible. And do you realize that God's call to you as well as a follower of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus today, his call to you and I is that we also would do everything, whatever we do in word or deed would be ultimately to the glory of God. He wants your life and mine to be praised to God in the same way that Jesus's life was praised to God. So the angelic praise, it begins glory to God in the highest, but it continues and on earth, peace. We've been talking about this peace here at Cross Connection Church for the last several weeks and many times before. It's something that I return to quite frequently because I have seen, and probably you have noticed as well, we are living in a culture that is desperately desirous for peace. And it seems to be something that we just can't seem to find in this world. I had an interesting conversation last night. We had a family Christmas gathering with my wife's family. And I can almost expect, like clockwork, at our family Christmas gathering, at a certain point, one of my family members is going to come to me and ask me some deeper questions. Not just questions like, hey, how are things going? What's been happening with the family? But deeper questions. His leading question last night was, so, what do you think about what's happening in Israel with Palestinians? And what are we told to not do at Christmas time? Let's not talk about politics and religion, except my job is like religion and worldview issues and all of this sort of stuff. So that's like my job. That's my bread and butter. So he came to me and he asked me, what do you think about what's happening with the Israelis and the Palestinians? And that started at least a 45-minute conversation, a very interesting conversation. And at a certain point, because it was very clear that we're not going to totally agree on political, geopolitical issues, it's hard to find someone you totally agree with. Half the time I have internal fights with myself. I'm not sure if I agree with myself most of the time. But at a certain point I said to him, you know, the bigger issue that you're wrestling with here is not how the Israelis are responding to Hamas in Gaza. The bigger issue that you're wrestling with is the problem of evil. And the bigger desire that you're wrestling with is that you have a deep desire for peace and the removal of evil. And I said, there's a reason for that. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, he said, there is not a desire resident in any human being that there is not ultimately something to satisfy that desire. And I said to this gentleman, that desire that you have for peace, it's right, but it'll never be found in this world apart from the Prince of Peace. But when Jesus comes, he makes it possible that there will be peace on earth. We know that this is not yet fulfilled. How do we know that this is not yet fulfilled? Well, just looking at what's been happening in the Ukraine over the last couple of years or what's been happening in Israel over the last few months, it tells us that this is not yet fulfilled, but we have the promise and the hope of it coming to pass because ultimately he is the prince of peace and he will come and return and establish his kingdom and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. So the angels 
They sing this praise to God that is also prophetic in a sense. And they say, glory to God in the highest through this child. And because of this child on earth, peace. But then the third one is awesome. On earth, peace and also goodwill toward men. Now, this third phrase is a little bit more challenging. And if you look at various versions, English versions of the Bible, you'll see that there are certain ways that translators translate this in some English Bibles, that it seems to imply that peace is only given to those who are of goodwill, which is a problem for me and it's a problem for you because at our core, we are not goodwilled. We have a broken and fallen will. And so if this peace is only for those of goodwill, then we're probably up a creek. But I actually don't think that that's the right way to translate it. This word goodwill is, is interesting. It's connected to the idea of pleasure, God's pleasure. And it's connected to the word that is used at Jesus' baptism. You can go read it in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 3. As Jesus was baptized, I believe it's in verse 17, there was a voice that was heard from heaven and the voice said this, this is my beloved son in whom I am what? Well, please, some of you know that. This idea of goodwill is connected to that word, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You don't have to raise your hand, but I'm assuming many of you have experienced before the anxiety, the worry, the concern that somebody in your life is not happy with you. I'm sure no spouses in here have ever experienced that. No children have ever wondered that with their parents. No employees have ever wondered that with their bosses. No bosses have ever wondered that with their employees. Have you ever had that feeling of anxiety that I'm not sure that this person's pleased with me or happy with me? And you find yourself in this place where it's very hard to focus or think because you're wondering, is this person upset at me? Some of you live your entire lives under that. And many of you have probably found yourselves wrestling with that as it relates to God. I think there's more than a few people, probably even some here today, who sometimes think, you know, I'm not really sure God's pleased with me. In fact, I, I kind of feel like maybe he just puts up with me. But here's the awesome thing that we discover in this passage. Because Jesus came into this world, we can now be pleasing, fully pleasing to God. And I want to encourage you today, if you are in Christ, if you're a Christian today, God is well pleased with you. He is well pleased with his son. And if you are in Christ by faith as his son, as his daughter, God is well pleased with you. That is accessible to us because Jesus came into this world. That's what the angels were praising God for. His birth, it brings glory to God in the highest. It brings the opportunity of a peace that surpasses understanding. And it makes it possible for you and I to be fully pleasing to God. That is Euangelion. What's that? Good news. Gospel. That brings mega joy. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was, Luke chapter 2 verse 15, so it was when the angels had gone away from them that the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem to see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. I wonder if they were not at least a little bit surprised. God made known to us a bunch of stinky nomadic shepherds in the fields that the Christ, the Lord, the Savior has been born. 
And they came with haste very quickly and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now, verse 17, note this. When they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning this child. And those who heard it marveled at those things which they were told by the shepherds. And Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. Let me finish this morning with a simple encouragement. Be like these shepherds. They returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen and that was told to them. I want to encourage you this holiday season for the next 12 days of Christmas, if you will, and on into 24 to be like these shepherds. Glorifying and praising God and making known, look at what they said, when they had seen these things, they made widely known the saying that was told to them concerning this child. I want to encourage you to be just like these shepherds. Because he deserves all glory and honor and praise. And he desires that through you and I, he would be honored and glorified and praised. And that we, like these angels, would proclaim him to others. And that we, like these shepherds, would sound all these great things to others. I think that it is the only right response for us to share the good news of this grace that comes in Jesus Christ. His birth brings glory to God in the highest. Honor is peace. And the fact that you and I can be pleasing to God in Jesus Christ. That is gospel. That is good news that I think brings mega joy. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and close in prayer. Father God, I thank you for your word. And I pray that this simple praise of the angels here in this passage would encourage us this morning. And the response of these shepherds would challenge us this morning as we gather together to celebrate with family members and friends tonight or tomorrow as we exchange gifts. Lord, would you stir our hearts to share the good news of this great joy that is found in you? Lord, it is a reality that there are an increasing group of people in our culture who don't know the the true story behind this celebration that we have every single year in December. And I pray, God, that you would stir our hearts to share the good news of this great joy with others. Give us opportunities today, tomorrow, the next couple of weeks to share this good news. Give us the boldness, Lord. Guard our hearts from any fear or anxiety or embarrassment in sharing these things. Guard our minds from any concern that some question will be asked that we don't know how to answer. And help us, Lord, to declare the good news that your coming into this world brings glory to God peace on earth and goodwill towards men. We rejoice in you, Jesus. We praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.